I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is the Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the sailor's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing culture and life, past, present, and future. Let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world, from mug yachts to tugboats to ice boats, and a published author who has written for both stage and screen, Captain Scott Todson. Hello, Todd. I am here and very sad today. And why is that? <laughs> sad because, you know, like every time, every ship, every time I've had a ship and a boat or whatever you want to call them, and you've gone on long trips and you've had the principally the same people on the boat, there always comes a time when that person that you trust and love uh, is going to get off and pursue a, either a different boat or a different part of the world. But it's always fond memories about um, the amount of time that we've shared. And um, you are going to fill in the blank. <laughs> well, I guess I guess I can make the announcement now that, you know, um, well, as, as some people who listen to the show might be aware of, uh, that I am... In the process of getting my MBA from USC, and as my schoolwork is taking up more and more of my time, I'm going to be taking up less time with the show, so probably will not be around for a while, maybe back at some point, but uh, yeah, this will be, probably be my, my last show for a while with the, with the Offshore Explorer. But, you know, I've had a great time doing this, and... Uh, Look forward to one last time. So what's uh, what do we have in store for today's episode? For today's episode, I'm talking about marinas and how much they grind my grist. Um, I love marinas and I hate marinas. And I've spent a good part of my life living in marinas, working in marinas, and all the rest. So I have some, again, very strong opinions about how marinas are sort of devolving out of the marine space into the bedroom community retail space. Okay, great. Take it away, Scott. Marinas are definitely grist for my grind. I have a lot of strong opinions about marinas. I love them. I hate them. I hate what the forces outside of marinas and outside of the boating world are doing to marinas. And the history of me being in marinas is, is like forever. I, I, 35, 40 years I've been on in a marina, one way or the other. Um, either my boats, uh, living aboard, are uh, living aboard and working, having my business there having a couple of different kinds of businesses there. So there's a lot of things that I've done in a marina, and that was always sort of my focal point. And I've been in marinas all over the world. And granted, there's different kinds of marinas. There's different ways that the marina and the keep your boat are set up, difference between, say, Europe and the United States, um, lots of different things. Different kind of ports that call themselves marinas, but are really just 
quays that you tie up to. And that's kind of the general feel for an unmanaged but managed um, marina. For example, like in Greece, Mandraki Harbor. Um, it's quote-unquote a marina, sort of, but it's really just a harbor that's surrounded. Um, the water is surrounded by quays, um, stone walls and quays and artifacts and stuff that have been there, you know, since five, 600 BC. And it, it has this nice sort of comfortable feel. It's interesting. And, and there's a lot less bullshit in foreign ports in terms of keeping your boat in one place or another than there are for, say, in the United States. In the United States, I have a real, I have, they drive me crazy. But at the beginning, most people are introduced to a marina through basically their own curiosity. They want to get into boating. So you want to get into boating, what you do is you just sort of go and walk around the marina and take a look at the boats in the water. You take a look at the people there. Um, you just wander around the wharf and look at boats and dream about having one for yourself. I was lucky enough to be introduced to a what I call a dock in the ocean in Ocean City, New Jersey. And out in the bay, there in the Salt Marsh Bay, there was a sort of high dock. Um, that was high enough that uh, the tide, the highest spring tide, wouldn't uh, wash it over. It would come close, though. And when the tide went out, it, it could be 10-foot difference. But connected to this wharf that went out through the shallow water and past all the mosquitoes and all the rest of the bugs that were out there, you sort of could see the water getting deeper and deeper and deeper because the wharf was built in about the end of it was about eight feet of water the, and it just sloped up the hill and it was just mud from there and it got to be um, very very shallow um, at the very end of the wharf and the wharf probably wasn't more than I'd say and this is a long time remembering I'd say the wharf probably wasn't any more than about 15-20 feet okay and then on the end of the wharf was a little floating dock and what you would do is at the floating dock, there were a couple of uh, rowboats. So you would get in the rowboat and you would row out to your mooring and you'd pick up, get your boat off the mooring. And then you would bring back, you'd either have permission to leave the rowboat there, which anybody could come and get, or, you know, if they need to use it, or you could just bring it, bring it back in and tie it up to the, the floating dock. Now that could be a problem um, if you have a strong offshore breeze, um, because the dock pointed perpendicular to the west, and in Jersey we get some strong offshore um, breezes, and I have more than once been pinned up against that little floating dock, um, waiting and not having enough horsepower to get off the dock, and just waiting for the wind to abate. And which would, which comes when the sun goes down. So it like blows your day. So it's rare to find this kind of marina because there's something I want to say and I want it to be very, very, very clear. Marinas 
are not for boats. Marinas are not for boats. The prime purpose of a marina, especially in the United States, is about real estate development. The boats are there for decoration. The boats are there to help uh, the real estate developer get more premium prices for his property. Your slip falls into a fairly simple calculation. This slip is built out in the water, okay? And in most places, the county or the state have abrogated their responsibility to the marinas because the marinas are a cost and you need people to operate them and you need to do this. But the real estate developers are more than happy to do that because what they want to do is they want to redevelop it. And so let me tell you a small story so you can get the calculation that's going on here. This goes back to Bar Harbor and for all my friends at Marina Del Rey, you remember the great Bar Harbor as being a sort of a raggedy, two-story building, apartments, very small, um, very dirty kind of things, um, but a great marina and a great, um, a great ambiance of sailing, of people that were in boats, people that, that uh, were living aboard, people that were coming there to work. And we used to keep our vessel assist boats there. So I was... At that time, I had my vessel assist, two vessel assist boats, uh, a pusher boat, and I had my own boat. Um, so this is, you know, I'm renting three slips, basically. But the dock master is very cool. Joe, shout out if you're listening. Uh, Joe is great into the maintenance. I would help him if I had to move docks for him or if I had to move boats around, you know, just to keep you know, a friendly thing. It's what you do in the marine world. It's what you do in the boating world with other people that are sensitive to boats and stuff. And and there's, there was a whole sort of ambiance of culture and, and artists down there. Um, I mean, I literally remember uh, seeing uh, Claude Van Damme uh, on top of, uh, I think it was a bayliner, right, getting sun. This is before he was famous. He was just laying there getting sun. And um, I, I said, hey, how you doing? He said, and the conversation evolved into the fact, I'm going to be a movie star. I said, okay, cool, man. Whatever. Float your boat. Um, downtown Julie Brown, famous MTV star. Uh, she kept her boat down there, and we'd see her all the time. And people would just, you know, sort of lose their uh, importance, so to speak, and become a part of the marine world. And this was cool. It was a cool place. Um, but then things started to change. They developed it. And what they did is they took one third of the slips and cut them out of the new arrangement for the slips. Okay. So if you had a hundred, they're basically going to let you have 66 slips. That's what they put back in. And of those 66 slips, they're going to be all... 35 45 foot slips there's there's like a minuscule number there's like one dock that maybe has 18 slips on it that are for something in the 20 foot range okay and there's a real reason for this all right and that reason is parking spots now 
a lot of developers in a lot of counties, they get into this kind of weird, like, oh, well, I kind of feel guilty because the purpose of this marina, the purpose of Marina del Rey when it was built, was to give the local uh, boater access to the sea. So he could come down and put his boat in the water, go out fishing for a day and come back. Or he had a sailboat and he could go out sailing. Or he could, he could sail his boat anytime he wanted to sail it. And it was for the people of Los Angeles. It is not for the people of Los Angeles today. The marina is a decoration. And all of the parking spots there, um, the boater parking spots, are one and a half parking spots per slip. So if you take out three, a third of all the slips in the marina, that's going to give you a lot more extra parking spots because apartments need at least two parking spots per person. So what happens is you end up being able, as a real estate developer, you cut down the marina size, you end up transferring those parking spots to more apartment in the building, so you're adding an extra floor. So instead of the old Bar Harbor being two floors, it's now actually three floors of apartments, actually four floors because they put some stupid mall kind of thing underneath it, which is, it's just the, it's a theme park element, right? There's fancy restaurants. I was I was down in Bally Way and I saw that there was a, um, a Marriott courtyard down there. I mean, there's a big Marriott just up the road, right on the corner, but there's a Marriott courtyard. This adds nothing, absolutely nothing, to what the marine culture of this area is. And it used to have a wonderful marine culture. That marine culture is dead. And I think it probably died when they started to get the little stores, the little coffee shops, um, the ship store, famous, 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 famous uh, ship store, um, was the kind of place with with people that were experts. Um, if you needed a, a piece of odd plumbing, or you needed a you know something for a joint or some wiring or you know a chart, you know some kind of teak piece of teak to replace or whatever the case may be, you could go there and easily find it. These guys would help you and they would order it for you by paint, um, anchors and stuff like that. Um, in fact, the, the ship store was a wonderful place to sort of hang out. If you needed to find somebody to work on your boat, or if you were a tradesman looking to pick up a little extra business, um, you could hang out there and you would probably do it. I met Jonathan Goldsmith, who many of you may know as the most interesting man in the world in the Dos Equis, uh, Dos Equis um, commercials. Um, he had a boat there, and he used to come and hang out, and we'd talk. And, you know, there was a coffee shop down there, and, you know, there was innumerable stars, innumerable um, people with different kinds of boats, film crews constantly down there. And now it is just an ugly place. It's all clean. It's all perfect. It's all access to big brands, but there's nothing local about it. It has lost its character. Now, marinas, and this is what kind of you know gets me upset, is 
anybody who is a liveaboard will understand this. Getting a liveaboard permit is almost takes an act of God. And a lot of guys will go and or women will go and buy a boat. And they'll say, hey, yeah, does this come with it? Does the slip come with it? Well, first thing is, is most of the time it doesn't. Secondly, uh, if you have any kind of aspirations to live on your boat or to work on your boat in a long-term um, case, the Marine is not going to want you there. The Marine only wants your nice, clean, brand-new boats to sit in the slip, and they really don't want to see you. So the, the they ask you, you know, they sell like, oh, here... We have bathrooms with showers and laundries and clubhouses for boats and boaters and da 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 You know what? That's all bullshit. It's all bullshit to cover the county officials or state officials' asses that they're providing a broad service for boaters in this community. Because quite frankly, the real estate developers would rather collect rather than, say, get $650 or $800 or $900 for a slip, those same parking spots in an apartment are worth two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. The math is pretty simple. So there's this whole thing around the marina about getting the best price, and none of the prices are good. You'll find that there is a massive amount of collusion and and all the marinas, now they may not actually call each other and say, hey, where are you going to do your price per foot? You wanna, do you think we can get to $18.50? Think we can get to $22.50? No, they don't do that. One guy will publish because he's full. The marina will be full, and he'll say, okay, it's $22.50. They'll publish that. Then the marina down the road, all the way down to San Diego, from San Francisco to San Diego, they will all look at the prices and say, oh, if the guy in San Francisco can get $22.50 a foot, me and Marina Del Rey can get $22.50 a foot. And besides, we have all these amenities like the laundry and the showers and the clubhouse, which is never open, by the way, and all of this stuff so we can get 23 And this is how they go about justifying the prices. They justify them through... Um, it's kind of a bait and switch thing. Here they are, but don't use them. And the same goes for the boats. You come in with your boat. Um, you want to have a little party on the dock. Suddenly the dock master who, in general, the dock masters used to be cool. Let me, let me address dock masters. Yeah. Let me just go right there. Okay. There's different kinds of dock masters. There are a lot of crooked dock masters. Okay. There are a lot of company clerk kind of dock masters who have absolutely no clue about what a boater does or what boats are about. They're just there to collect your rent and to tell you that your electric bill is this or your water bill is that or you can't have a barbecue on the dock or you're not dressed appropriately or no, I'm not going to give you a second key and no, you can't go in the bathroom and use the universal key to get in there. Or no, the laundry is broken. So I knew one place where they said, it was just in San Diego, the laundry was broken. And this, this old salt said to me, he says, yeah, it's been broken since the day that they opened the place. And I said, no kidding. He says, yeah, those machines work perfectly well. And he said, sometimes we can get in there. He says, but for the most part, they keep it closed and say it's under repair. 
because they don't want to spend the money on the little bit of electricity or the little bit of water that a laundry machine, which is paying for itself, is going to use. So there's a lot of this nastiness going on. And then there's there's that dock master who wants, and this is my advice, if a dock master says you could have a slip over here, but it's going to cost you a little premium to put in the back pocket of the dock master, don't do it. Report him. Because that's not his job. But I have known plenty of dock masters that you've had to pay to play, to get your boat in, especially primo spots. And the bigger the boat, the the more money it is. So the whole marina dock thing is a is a is a kind of a hustle, and it's it's a shell game. All right. Now, if you just want to come down and you're going to be a day boater, um, you're going to go out, maybe sail out, spend a weekend, or go someplace for a weekend. Um, that's that's great. And you're not going to be down on the boat. You're just going to come down. You keep your boat there. You're actually the perfect customer. That's who they want, okay? And by the way, they they don't want to see workmen come on your boat either, all right? You have to be, I, I did this for years. I, I mean, I did a lot of, I did varnishing painting. I did engine repair. I did a lot of things. And they were always asking me for my insurance and my business card and my business numbers and this and that and this. It eventually got to the point where I knew a couple of very good mechanics, uh, engine mechanics, that, um, I mean, they could tear apart a diesel and put it back together in like lightning. And they were reasonable and they were great guys and they did honest work. They quit. They said, no, I'm, I'm leaving. I, I can't deal with these people. Now, marinas in general in the United States all have finger piers. So you put your boat between the two fingers. That's where you are. In Europe, it's completely the opposite. You have moorings. You go into the marina, you pick up a mooring, and you back in, tie your boat off, and you use the mooring that's buried in the ground. Primarily, that's done because a lot of their harbors are very deep. So you need a mooring that has to be put in by a diver, etc., etc., etc. So that Mediterranean mooring thing is very important when you're doing that. Um, if any of you have listened to Antibes, um podcast or uh, Marbella, um, Sicily, um, Rhodes, any of these, you're always going down to pick up a mooring. Or, as in Turkey, sometimes they don't have moorings and you have to throw your anchor out there in the pot, so to speak. You with the 50 other goulettes. I actually saw a young man get caught by the anchor. He was trying to free up because they had laid their anchor quite early. Um, they had gotten there for been there for a while, and other boats had come and dropped their anchors over the top. And I, I think I'll have another uh, podcast devoted especially to anchoring, how to you know get your anchor out of um, that kind of fouling nonsense. But in any case, they had a, they they finally got the anchor up a little bit um, with the help of a lot of boats and a lot of people, and a young man ended up getting his foot caught in a line or some sort, and he went down with the anchor and drowned. So it can be a very dangerous business, and so you have to be careful. The American slip thing is pretty easy. People usually freak out when they're trying to put their boat in, but all I say is you know just get the point in and you'll be fine, right? That's all you got to do. Simple, simple. 
So marinas don't like liverboards. They have inspections for liverboards. They have to come and look at your tanks. They have to come and look at everything else. With marinas reaching near theme park uh, status, um, they don't represent boating. They're just pretty pictures, as I said. And with the developers and real estate people having won the battle, uh, what was once a cool place is now a shopping mall and a bedroom community with people that have absolutely no relationship to boating except they like to see the water. It's sad. And it's a mall with pretenses. It's, there's a lot to be said. There's, there's no more small business. There's no surfboards. Um, there's, you know, there's, there's nothing. Um, it's like a selfie without meaning. Now, liveaboards, as I was saying, in my opinion, I love liveaboards. I, I lived aboard forever. And I think liveaboards in general add a lot to the community. First of all, if you're just parking your boat, like I used to have people park the boat, doctor boat right next to me, and they just, they loved the fact that I was there because they had an expensive boat. They had expensive equipment on it. Nobody would bother that boat because I was there. You know, I, my head, as soon as I hear somebody on the dock, my head would pop up. I would know who it was. All right. And it's part of the security. But the real estate people, the marina, quote unquote, which are the real estate people, um, are saying, oh, yeah, there's crime, there's drugs. Let me tell you, most of the liveaboards there are not drug dealers or not drug users, okay? They are definitely sundown people, but um, the people that cause a lot of the drug problems are transients that come and go, and they'll stay on a boat. If they can get inside the gate, they'll stay on the boat. So these, this atmosphere of being against uh, boaters, uh, especially liveaboard boaters, is comes from a, a concept that they think you are getting over on somehow getting over on them, getting over on society because you're living on a very on a small boat, okay, and you're paying very little in terms may seem very little to them in slip rent, okay. And you have the freedom to come and go and you have all the services, which they don't want you to use, but the county says you have to have a certain amount of liveaboards on there. So the county sort of says, okay, you know, for every hundred slips, you can have eight, 10, 12 liveaboards. All right. I had a liveaboard permit in Bar Harbor for about 12 years. And when I sold the boat that the permit was permitted for, um, I lost my permit and I had to get back in line to get another liveaboard permit. And nothing could be done. Absolutely nothing can be done. The waiting period for a liveaboard permit at that time um, was about four years. So, and, and, and it was basically arbitrary because had I actually seen the list, I'm sure I could have said, okay, he's dead, he's dead, he moved, he's not here, he's not here. And I could have worked my way all the way down the list. But um, they like to say, oh, no, no, we have to wait to hear from this guy. I said, well, he died like four years ago. 
oh, well, we'll still wait for him. They make up any kind of excuses, any kind of excuses. And so this kind of real estate, commercialized real estate, uh, boats as a sort of uh, pretty picture, you know, pretense to get higher rates is not something that's just found in uh, the United States. Um, quick story is when I first arrived in um, St. Thomas in Charlotte Malay in um, 1978, I guess, a long time ago, there were there was a captain's association for charter boat captains. It was the Virgin Islands Cap- Virgin Islands Charter Boat Association. And it was all captains and owners of the boats that were chartering. And we had 370, I remember these numbers specifically, we had 374 charter boats based in Charlotte and Mali. Now, they wouldn't be there at the same time, but a great deal of them were. And they were running charters. At the time, St. Thomas was the only place they really had an airport, and the British Virgin Islands were right there. British Virgin Islands only had a little shitty airport, and um, they didn't have any flights connecting to Miami or Atlanta or any of the major hubs. And so St. Thomas was the place everybody came to. And the Coast Guard came to one of our meetings. And of course, you know, hey, we're all positive people. We want to obey the law. We want to see what's going on. And the Coast Guard basically told us this. We do not want you here. We want you to take your business someplace else. Because we think you're all drug runners. We think you cause a lot of problems. And we don't want you here. And we are going to harass you, which they did, by the way. They would stop boats just outside the harbor in Charlotte and Mali and do a complete inspection and really, really bust balls. Seriously bust balls. And what happened was, at two years later, three years later, out of that 374 charter boats that were there, we were down to 34 charter boats that base themselves in in um, Charlotte Mali. And these the 34 that stay there were just hardheads, and they decided to stay there. That business that we were creating, charter boats, 374 charter boats, was creating $17.8 million in revenue for the island. And the island liked us. The people liked us on the island. But we were in the way. We were in the way of, you know, cruise ships. They want to stack these cruise ships in there four, five, six deep. They want the people to jump off. Go spend their 250 bucks, jump back on, leave, and be gone by the evening. And that's how it operates. It's a, it's, a, it's a stream of money coming in. And, you know, the local people, they're okay with it. They're in business. They're on land. They're, you know, this is great. Bring revenue and we have no problem, okay? But this other business was sacrificed for that. And it's the same concept, 
that the the powers to be, the real estate developers, the marina people that are involved in this sham, okay, the boats are there to be looked at. They're not there to be sailed. End of story. We don't, we just want them to be pretty. We can take pictures and say, hey, look at how great our dream is. But it's not a dream. It's a freaking nightmare if you have a boat. So... I'm sorry if I'm ranting on this, but it's it kind of pisses me off because I've seen over the years, and this is a benefit of just, you know, being alive and being down there all the time, having to work there, um, you know, you pay for three slips, uh, you help out the dock master, and Joe, the dock master, in this story, he ended up uh, moving on to another place where he was a dock master and then ended up getting fired because of whatever reason, which we couldn't get because he was like the nicest, most honest guy in the world. And it just boils down to the fact that they don't care. They don't care at all. So what's Marina Del Rey have now? They don't have any channelries. They have boat, boat US, boat, whatever. Marine, what is the place? I'm, I'm, I lost the name. Um, yeah, Boat US. They have Boat US. This is not a channel. Right? This is this is a, a boutique. This is not a place that you take your problems. You you go to figure out. This is no. This is not the place you go to figure out how to fix a float switch and what float switch to have. You you go there like you either get. Buy float switch A or buy float switch B. We don't know which one will work for you, but that's what you have to do. And nothing against the people that West Marine is what I'm thinking of. It's not against. It's not that I'm against the people that are working in the store there. Okay, there's some guys that are real knowledgeable about doing this stuff, and they and they they're cool, and they they get what the problem is. But they're very very few. This whole corporate thing just is not is not the way ship channeleries are run. And it's just, that's not how boaters shop. It's not how marine people shop. Okay? If you're going to buy something, like a generator, we're going to get down to knit and grit and probably buy it from the factory. If you need a, a heat exchanger, okay, I'm going to look up where the heat, my old heat exchanger was built. I'm going to call that factory and say, I need this heat exchanger. I'm going to give you the serial numbers. I'm going to have it shipped in. So these are, this is the way boaters think, you know. Um, I need some stainless screws. I need brass screws, okay? You can't go to a hardware store and find brass screws, brass wood screws, stainless steel bolts and nuts. As funny aside, in Greece, on the island of Rhodes, they had a couple of different nuts and bolts stores, hardware stores. And one store had all the bolts, and the other store had all the nuts, so you had to go across town to get to the other store. And they were owned by two cousins. They had split their business at one time over a family argument. And one took the bolt side of the business and the other took the nut side of the business. True story. But this gets us into the idea of what the real channelries are and what they mean to a boating community. And the marinas are pushing them all out because they don't want them. I mean, they'll take a West Marine because it is a corporate image, right? It's a corporate thing. It's part of the theme park of business. So you have Marinas have two different, 
you know, they have different purposes. You have, you know, we're keeping the boat there. Okay. That's, that's the minor purpose now. Um, the rest of it's all real estate and it's all cash. It's all whatever it is. But the importance of having a marina that welcomes people to come, that welcomes liveaboards, that welcomes uh, businesses, um, because most guys that run businesses, um, diesel mechanics, um, boat cleaners, varnishers, painters, all the rest, they have relationships with the boat yards that are in the marina, and they have relationships, um, um, solo relationships. So there's a lot of people that are integrated into this whole culture. And the primary place for all these people to sort of aggregate and communicate um, is the chandleries. And to give you an example, um, the ship store was a wonderful little chandlery. It wasn't very big, but it was a wonderful little chandlery. You can almost find anything um, that your little heart needed. And if they couldn't find something specific, you know, like a specific switch or a, a, a key starter or, uh, maybe a kind of block or whatever, um, if they would order it for you and they, they wouldn't rip you off. Um, West Marine, it's just a rip off and we all know that and we accept it and we allow it because there's no other place to go as far as that's concerned. But I was um, going across the Atlantic um, for the first time. And one of the things that I, I realized at night was that the light, the little tiny light on my compass was bright as hell. I mean, it was so bright, it like blinded me. And I kept looking at it and I kept thinking to myself, there's got to be a way to adjust this, this light because for, I had never noticed it. I had been sailing on the boat at night a bunch of times, but it was a short time. It was, you know, I'd be at night, maybe two or three hours or four hours or five hours. It didn't matter. But then I'd look at this light and I'm getting back to what a really good channel is. So I came into Gibraltar after suffering this bright, compass lamp and I went to the guy and I said look do you have anything like a, a bulb that you know I had the bulb in my hand I said it's like smaller I said you know my my compass is just so bright at night I can't stand it and he says I got the perfect thing for you so anybody that's been in Shepherds knows what I'm talking about this place has got everything and it's mammoth and the guys that are working there are British for the most part they all know what they're talking about they're all boaters that kind of ended up stranded in one way or another in Gibraltar and got jobs and the place is just huge so we go back we climb some stairs we go along some scaffolding it's all wood scaffolding kind of stuff and you're going back and forth and he comes up and he finds this little box he pulls his box out and he said this is what you need and what it was was like a little red rubber to slip over my compass lamp the light bulb itself it was a piece of red rubber shaped to fit over that and the guy looked at me and smiled and he says how's that and I said, that's fantastic. How did you, I mean, that's fantastic that you had something like this. And he says, we believe in, in safe sailing. 
Yeah, because it looks like a little penis. It's a rubber for my little penis light. That's what marinas are about. That's what a chandlery is about. That's, you know, to find that little thing that you you would never think in a million years that you couldn't find. I couldn't find that thing in a catalog ever. I broke one of my um, um, uh, 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 I broke one of my um, uh, spreader lights. Okay, and I could put any kind of spreader light up there that I wanted to. But they had these really cool kind of antique spreader lights. And they were brass. And I thought, oh, man, I don't want to have to shine that stuff if, you know, it's just going to get green or whatever the case may be. But they were brass that were also um, coated um, in, in stainless. And they were just, they were brilliant. They looked so pretty. So I ended up buying them along with some blocks, some wood blocks, some turning blocks, some tackle. I don't know how many feet of line, some new line. I bought some chain there as well for my anchor. Um, on and on and on. But that's that's what a ship channel does. It's like, I go into West Marine, I, I pucker up. I'm not really into it, right? I mean, I feel like I'm being raped, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to enjoy the experience. And, and it's because it's, it's not the people that are there. It's just the whole corporate profile of it. Um, that's their business. That's their model. They make money from it. They're not going to change. But what is changing is the fact that there's no place for the shepherds or the um, ship stores. There's no place for those in this sort of Disney-like theme park of business world around the realist with the real estate business around uh, the marina itself. So the advantages that I always feel, and I know people are going to say, well, gee, Scott, you're pretty hostile about all this stuff. Well, I am because I think it's the wrong thing to do. I, I, think, I think that the boater has lost. Um, on this last hiatus uh, vacation, I was down in the marina a lot. There's a lot of slips that are open, a lot. I mean, at one time, this place was full. I mean, full. Not everybody can afford a $5 million boat in Los Angeles. That's not enough to fill up one of the largest man-made marinas in the world. It's not enough. But, you know, for the real estate people, they don't care if there's not a boat in that slip. That's like little extra money, and it's more headache than it's worth. They care about that apartment that they built based on the parking spot of the absent slips that they tore down and reconfigured so that they can add an extra 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 apartments without having to dig a deeper parking lot. So I also have been on the East Coast and, you know, we, I'm talking about Marina del Rey because I spent so much time there talking about places like Gibraltar and Gibraltar is a wonderful story and I'm, I'm going to get back to doing just a Gibraltar story and um, because there's a lot of fun in Gibraltar and I've talked about the whole Doc Master mischief and stuff like that but I also I spent a great deal of time in Connecticut uh, at Pilots Point Marina 
And um, I came up to Pilot's Point. is literally in the middle of the winter. Um, late fall, I had come up from the Caribbean, and, and I'd been struck by lightning. And I had, they, they, only, they were the only people that had actually a mast table. And the reason they had a mast table, that they built a mast table, is because the great, uh, the great ancient ship, uh, the Ticonderoga, was having a new mast uh, built for her. And um, so she was in the yard with us, and I got to watch them build, um, in fashion, a whole new uh, mast, which was fascinating and wonderful, and craftsmanship was ridiculous. And they got my mast out and repaired it and got it all sorted out in, like, no time at all. And I was very, very happy because my that with the work that they did. And we spent a great deal of time. And, in fact, I did sell my boat um, there in the marina and it was picked up and it's still, I think up somewhere up there in Connecticut or Massachusetts way. And, um, occasionally I'll see an ad for it. They've repainted it. You know, they fell into the whole thing. It looks like a pirate. It's a, you know, it's a CT. It does have a little piratey sense to it, but they painted the hull black. Disappointed me too. Just to just, she just doesn't look the way she used to look. But they always say, yeah, extensively sailed Europe and stuff. And said, yeah, no way, no kidding, cat. So anyway, let me just sum all this whole world up. Is that marinas are changing to become theme parks. They're not for boaters. And the boaters and, and, and the people that believe in the contribution of a marine community to the the wider community um, have to band together. They have to, to work together. They have to attend meetings. And I know there's a lot of people that do that, but if I could lend my voice to any of that, um, I am more than happy to do that. And um, that would, that's my grist for the grind on marinas. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. You can also listen to past episodes at offshore-explorer.simplecast.com. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Amanu Itomi and Tommy Twain. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas.